Welcome to the Holistic Beauty Podcast. We are going to chat all things holistic and integrative beauty and skin health. We are licensed naturopathic doctors practicing in sunny California, and we are changing how skincare is looked at. We want you to understand that skin health is a manifestation of balance from within. And each week, we are bringing you tidbits to complete your skincare routine from the inside out and the outside in. So let's get into it. So just as a reminder, the information in this podcast is not medical advice and is only meant for educational purposes. None of the information is meant to treat, cure, prevent, or diagnose any conditions or disease that you may have. So please speak to your doctor or licensed healthcare provider before starting anything new. Hi guys, welcome back to the Holistic Beauty Podcast. This week we are doing another deep dive, but this time it's on <laughs> rosacea. So this is going to be a two-part series. And we are going to be talking about what rosacea is, what happens to the skin when this occurs, what causes rosacea, the different types of rosacea, how it's diagnosed, and conventional treatment of rosacea. So are you ready? Let's do it. All right. Let's start by telling our listeners what rosacea is. Yeah. So rosacea is basically like this chronic inflammatory facial skin condition. And it usually affects the central part of the face. And then it also has like episodic or sometimes people can also experience constant redness. They can also experience papules and pustules. How would you describe papules? Like flesh colored bumps usually. Yeah. And then pustules are the bumps that have like pus in it. And then those papules and pustules can happen on the nose, the chin, the cheeks and the forehead. And um, according to studies, this episodic redness can last for less than five minutes. I mean, it's usually accompanied by like the sensation of warmth and it moves from the face down to the neck and chest. Wow. So how many people worldwide have this skin condition? Yeah. So like science says that it says higher than 5% of the population experiences rosacea. And according to science, it favors adults between 30 to 50 years old. Mm-hmm. And it usually um, affects females more than males. Um, it's usually um, diagnosed in individuals with um, phototypes one and two, so people who have fair skin. And science also says that rosacea typically occurs in people of Northern European and Celtic descent. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's all really interesting. And then, like, according to science, there seems to be, like, this combination of blood vessel dilation and immune response to, like, something going on internally and externally in regards to the microbiome. And that's really interesting, too. And we're going to be, like, diving into that in this episode, but also, like, in part next two. week's episode? Yeah, episode two, part yeah, yeah. two. Yeah, so it's going to be really fun. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and then according to science, when people are exposed to like extreme temperatures, but also other things, it could trigger lymphatic and blood vessel dilation and could um, play a role in the redness and the flushing that people experience. And like what I said, we're going to be talking more about the microbiome, uh, but I do want to like speak about it just a bit right now to just pique your guys' interest. But in regards to science, external microbes and internal microbes could be activating the immune system in regards to like some sort of like TH1, TH17 response, which is basically like this allergy response. And what studies show is that people with these uh, microbiome changes have increased activity of mast cells. And mast Hmm. cells are those um, types of immune cells that respond to allergic response. Yeah. And then um, in regards to causes, what are some causes? So it's interesting because the cause isn't really well known or established, but I mean... Research has looked at, or we think there's like genetic component, obviously involvement with the immune system and an immune reaction. Mm -hmm. We have like the microorganisms that play a role, not only on our skin, but also in our gut, Mm -hmm. environmental factors, neurovascular dysregulation. But I mean, it's interesting because there are a lot of well-known triggers 
that people ex- like experience mm-hmm. that aggravate the rosacea and cause flare-ups. So studies have like all looked at this and like the biggest trigger is sun exposure. Yeah. That UV radiation. But I mean also we know that emotional stress can cause flare-ups with our rosacea, changes in temperature like a uh, hot and cold temperatures can aggravate rosacea for some people. Mm-hmm. Drinking alcohol, caffeine containing beverages like coffee, tea, especially hot tea, mm-hmm. spicy foods. I mean, there's so many triggers. There are so many triggers because the skin is so sensitive, like yeah. with this skin condition. And like looking at the study that we have, it says that 41% of individuals can experience a trigger or their rosacea being triggered by like certain skincare products. And we'll be talking yes. about that soon. Yes, we will go over that. In, like, in episode two, right? Yes, yeah. yes, in episode two, <laughs> we're going over some, there's like just some ingredients that should be avoided. And then looking at this study, like it says 8% of individuals can experience a trigger or like a, a flare up of uh, rosacea with dairy products. That's really interesting. That is interesting because I've actually read the opposite Really? <laughs> a couple studies that I found. Which, we'll talk about yeah, that. Yeah, we're going to talk about that more in next week's episode when we go over the naturopathic treatments mm-hmm. and for rosacea. But let's go into the nitty gritty and really talk about the microbiome. Like what's going on in the skin? What's going on from within? Yes. Let's do it. So like in regards to the skin microbiome, we know that skin mites and bacteria might be playing a role in development of rosacea. It's kind of like gross to think about, but we do have mites on our skin. Mm-hmm. It's called demodex and these mites are naturally found on the skin and there are two types. So there's um, demodex folliculorum and then demodex brevis. And the demodex folliculorum lives in the hair follicles, primarily on the face, but it can also live on the, how would you um, describe them? Mabomian glands. They're like the ones on the sides of the, they're the oil glands on the face, I think. On the, the eyelid where the eyelashes are. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, so they live in those areas, which is really interesting to think about. Don't they like sebum-rich or like oil-rich yes. areas? Which is why they're so they're more prevalent on the face mm-hmm, because we mm-hmm. have so many oil glands. Yeah, and it's actually really interesting because like those areas that are like more oily, people tend to experience more like rosacea symptoms there. And then, yeah, so like what you were talking about, it was specifically in regards to like the demodex brevis. Um, those are the ones that live in like sebaceous glands of the um, skin, like the oil Ooh. glands of the skin. Yeah, it's really interesting. So like what we said, um, the mites are most plentiful in the same regions of the face that are commonly affected by rosacea. So it's going to be like the cheeks, the nose, the chin, and the forehead. And those large amounts of mites have also been found in the um, biopsies of rosacea papules and pustules, which is like really crazy to think about. Like if you guys Google a picture of a demodex, it's really wild. It's creepy looking. (laughs) (laughs) And then according to science, an overabundance of these mites may possibly trigger an immune response in people with rosacea or that the inflammation may be caused by certain bacteria associated with the mites. And this is really interesting to me. So in regards to mite-associated bacteria, Bacillus oleuroneus. <laughs> a for effort. <laughs> Thank you. But a certain types of bacillus species is associated with demodex or the mites. And it's really interesting because like mite-related bacterial antigens could be stimulating immune cells in rosacea, which is so, so interesting. Hmm. So according to science, this uh, bacterium produces antigens capable of uh, stimulating peripheral blood mononuclear cells. So basically uh, activating the immune system in 73% of individuals who experience rosacea. That is really interesting to me. 
And then in regards to the antigens, so the antigenic proteins related to the bacteria that's been associated with uh, mites have the potential to stimulate an inflammatory response in, in patients with a papulopustular mm. rosacea. And we'll talk about the different types of rosacea as well, okay? That'll be coming up soon. And then in regards to like the microbiome, we do know that there's a gut rosacea connection, which is really, really interesting. And we're going to do a deeper dive in episode two, so the next episode, but I still want to talk about it since we're talking about like potential causes of rosacea. So science says that there are certain uh, gut conditions that have been to be more prevalent in individuals with rosacea. So GERD, or gastrointestinal reflux disease, so basically reflux, has been associated with rosacea, celiac disease, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis. We were talking about this earlier, like IBD is um, linked to rosacea. It's really interesting. And then Mm -hmm. small intestinal bacterial overgrowth and IBS have been linked to rosacea as well. And then in regards to the actual gut microbiome, we do know that H. pylori has been linked to rosacea. H. pylori stands for Helicobacter pylori. It's this naturally occurring gut bacteria. I think it lives in the stomach, right? Yeah. And it's a science house that's a gram-negative bacillus bacteria, and it's one of the main causes of gut inflammation and ulcers. And according to a study, um, H. pylori infection is involved in the development of rosacea. And rosacea patients, they actually say in the study that rosacea patients should be tested for H. pylori infection. But we'll talk more about H. pylori in part two. And then how is rosacea... Diagnose and where are the different types? Are you ready to dive into this part, my friend? Yeah, this is, I mean, it's pretty interesting because when you hear rosacea, most people don't realize like there are different types of rosacea. Yeah. It's not just like, oh, you have rosacea. It's like, no, what kind of rosacea do you have? Because the subtype of rosacea that you have will determine the treatment that is needed. So, Dr. Bryant, tell us about the different subtypes of rosacea. Yeah, so there are four subtypes according to the National Rosacea Society Expert Committee and one variant of rosacea. So the four subtypes are going to be erythematotelangiatic, papillopustular, <laughs> phimatous, and ocular. And then the variant is called granulomatous. So in regards to erythematotelangiatic, it's basically when somebody experiences persistent redness with intermittent flushing of the nose and cheeks. And it's usually like the first clinical manifestation of rosacea. So it's like one of the earlier types. And then um, as somebody is experiencing rosacea for a longer period of time, they may experience the other subtypes of rosacea. So papillopustular is one that we spoke about earlier. So this is when somebody has papules and pustules on the affected areas of the face. It could sometimes look like adult acne, actually. So it's really important to like um, work with the provider who's going to be able to like parse out like, oh, okay, is this adult acne or is this something else? But in regards to the difference between adult acne and papillopustular is that rosacea lacks comedomes. And we spoke about this in an episode earlier, what a, like what a comedome is. And mm-hmm. I, I still have a hard time. Oh, yeah, it's blackheads and whiteheads. That's what we spoke about. And that will help us differentiate between acne and a papillopustular. And then phimatis. So phimatis is basically, it's going to be a scarring or like a um, growth of the nose. Have you ever seen pictures of that before? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was my, you know, that image just popped into my head mm-hmm. immediately. Yeah. And it's usually on the nose. It's uh, usually in male patients and they experience something called rhinophyma. And rhinophyma is just basically um, when the nose kind of like grows in size and it kind of gets bumpy and large because of this like fibrosis and hypertrophy of sebaceous glands. But it could also affect like the cheeks, the chin and the glabella. How would you... Describe the glabella again. It's your 11s, the area between your eyebrows. Thank you. And then ocular. So ocular is when somebody experiences uh, eye symptoms. So that could be like tearing, dry eye, a gritty sensation. Also, it's like itching in the eyes. And then rosacea. 
How is it diagnosed? And you're probably asking. So rosacea is diagnosed via clinical diagnosis. So what that really means is that a doctor will do a really detailed history and then do some physical examination to see what's going on. And then in regards to the current diagnostic guidelines by the National Rosacea Society Expert Committee, this was like, the study was in 2019. They said that one of the following clinical presentations is considered diagnostic for rosacea. So it's going to be like this uh, fixed um, centrofacial redness. And then they could also experience some phimatis changes or those nose changes that we spoke about or like the um, fibrosis and hypertrophy. Beyond those, if somebody's not experiencing those, um, they said that the two of the following major criteria um, are also also considered diagnostic. So like when somebody's experiencing like flushing or like um, papules and pustules. How do you say this one? You got this. Telangiectasia. <laughs> Thank you. It's a tongue twister. <laughs> but that's basically like when somebody has dilated or broken blood vessels um, located near the surface of the skin. And it's also called spider veins. Or if they're also experiencing like ocular manifestations or like eye symptoms. Since it is considered a clinical diagnosis, labs are not usually done by conventional providers, which is kind of frustrating because we were speaking about how like some of these internal things could also be playing a role in um, rosacea. But we're going to be speaking about that in our part two. Yeah, so when it comes to the conventional treatment for rosacea, it's really based upon the person's current symptoms that they're experiencing. So the main goal of a majority of these conventional therapies is to reduce inflammation. And while topical steroids are prescribed for a lot of skin conditions, it seems like, in this case, we want to avoid it for rosacea because this can be associated with rebound flare-ups or even inducing rosacea-like perioral dermatitis, which is basically just like skin inflammation or like a rash around your mouth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So patients with rosacea usually see their primary care physician's first, and this is where they may be prescribed a first-line therapy. And since early recognition and treatment is important to prevent disfigurement like the rhinophyma, patients with an uncertain diagnosis or they're not really responding to the therapies, they should be referred to their dermatologist for further screening and other treatment options. Yeah, and it's also really important um, that all rosacea patients are screened for ocular symptoms, like that gritty sensation, just to like make sure that things are okay with the eyes. And if something is going on with the eyes, then um, a referral to an ophthalmologist is really important. Yeah, definitely. So in general, when it comes to treating rosacea, the first step is typically to advise a patient to identify and then avoid triggers of their rosacea flare-ups. And this includes UV light radiation, spices, weather changes, and alcoholic beverages. Yeah, it's going to be so hard to avoid windy weather. Yeah. If you live in like Chicago, you know. Dude, or Palm Springs. Palm Springs is like freaking windy. Yeah, and hot. Yeah, <laughs> it's like if you have rosacea, don't live there. <laughs> yeah. No, but I mean, just kidding. You can live there. There are so many therapies <laughs> available that can help with this. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, moving on. So there are some universal skincare recommendations for patients with rosacea. And this includes using a pH balanced skin cleanser as opposed to soaps because soaps can dry out the skin and mm. make rosacea worse. Also, sunscreen is so important, especially since we know that UV radiation is one of the top triggers of rosacea flare-ups. So, so you can live in Palm Springs. You can, but you gotta, you gotta wear your SPF. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Dude, I cannot tell you how many people I've asked, oh, do you, uh, are you wearing an SPF in the desert? And they say, no. The desert, not wearing SPF? Yes, Yo. it's my older patients. They're like, oh, I know I should be. I'm like, yeah, you really, you got to wear the SPF, man. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So anyways, using a broad spectrum sunscreen with SPF of 30 or higher and regularly using moisturizers too can be helpful for patients with rosacea. 
Also with rosacea, the skin becomes really sensitive and irritable. And so it's important to avoid products that contain irritants. So Dr. (laughs) Bryant, what's the takeaway? Yeah. Just to recap, it'd be really helpful if individuals with rosacea really like like had a diary, really trying to figure out like, okay, like the, this is what triggered my rosacea. This is what didn't trigger my rosacea. Love that. Uh, yeah. And then to avoid those triggers, you know, like that's the, like what you said, that's the first step. And then in regards to sunlight, we know that it is a trigger. So really great protection, like UV protection is going to be really important. So that's going to be like daily use of sunscreens. Usually like the best ones to consider are going to be like um, the mineral products, but then also having a really gentle skincare routine. Using soap-free products and non-comedogenic cleansers is going to be really important. And then also avoiding those irritants that we spoke about. And some of the times those irritants can also be found in makeup. So like um, really just like Mm. reading the ingredients is going to be really, really important. And if you do have any challenges or troubles with that, work with the provider who's going to be able to like go over these ingredients with you so that you can find out what's best for you at the end of the day. But then, like what we said, that's just like the general guidelines um, and the general measures for rosacea. And we spoke about how like when patients with rosacea initially see their doctors, it's usually with a primary care physician. And that's where first line therapy is started. And in regards to first line therapies, um, depending upon the type of rosacea somebody's experiencing, it could be different. Um, We spoke about that earlier, and that's why it's really important to understand the different types. So um, if somebody is experiencing central facial redness without papulopustular lesions, the first line therapy is going to be topical metronidazole, which is just like an antibiotic. And then there's also going to be azelaic acid or miravazo. And then there's also uh, vascular laser therapy. So there are different types of lasers that might be used for individuals who have rosacea where they experience like erythema and the telangiectasia. But if you're experiencing papulopustular lesions and if lesions are, or if somebody, if this is more mild to moderate, there's going to be topical metronidazole or azelaic acid for inflammation and erythema or the redness. Topical Ivermectin might be used for inflammation, but this may be used in combination with azelaic acid or metronidazole. And then we all, this can also be those um, vascular laser therapies that we spoke about for telangiectasia. So actually, it's interesting that you bring up ivermectin because there is a cream that is a topical prescription medication that's used for rosacea called Sulantra. And not mm-hmm. only is this good for the inflammatory lesions, but it's also has antiparasitic effects. So it can be helpful for treating the Demodex mites. Fascinating. I did yeah. not know that. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. This cream's really expensive though. I'm looking at it right now. It's $320. <laughs> it's prescription only? Yes. It's I a mean, prescription only. I, I wonder if you could get it compounded though. Interesting. Hmm. Not sure. Yeah. It's so interesting. So yeah. yeah. So that's going to be like first line therapy. And that's what's usually done as the first mm-hmm. therapy. But if somebody's not <laughs> responding to those, there's second line therapy and third line therapies. And these are going to be done with um, a dermatologist, honestly. So in regards to second line therapies, there are different topical therapies that might be used like benzoyl peroxide, erythromycin, clindamycin. And there's also going to be doxycycline that might be used as well. Mainly it's going to act as an anti-inflammatory. Wait, that's a uh, topical, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. It's a, no, no, no. It's oral. Oh, gosh. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, then, I got my thoughts on that, but I'll save it for next episode. I hear you. And then there's going to be th- third-line therapy. If somebody isn't responding, there's going to be the docucycline, but at a higher dosage, and there's also topical retinoids. But yeah, that's what's usually done from a conventional perspective for rosacea. Rosacea, yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. So that's it for today. 
Thank you so much for listening today, guys. Just as a quick recap on this episode, this is just part one of two of the A Rosacea series that we're doing. Again, it's another deep dive. We love a deep dive here. We do. So we spoke about what is rosacea, what's happening on the skin, what's like causing it. And in regards to the causes, like what we said, the cause is unknown, but there's really interesting science saying that there's like a microbiome thing that's going on, a gut thing going on. And we do know that there are some like various triggers that can start or aggravate rosacea. And then we also spoke about the different types of rosacea because that's so important to really understand because it helps with treatment from a conventional perspective. And then we spoke about treatment and how there's first-line therapies, second-line therapies, and third-line therapies. And we also spoke about the general measures for rosacea that's usually recommended by a conventional provider. But thanks so much for listening, guys. Make sure to connect with us on Instagram. Our Instagram handles will be in the podcast description below. And then if you do want to see us or if you want to check out our websites, it will also be in the podcast description as well. And next week, I like what I said, we are going to be talking about rosacea again. But it'll be from a naturopathic perspective. And that's the reason why you listen to us, right? (laughs) So this is going to be really fun. We're going to be talking about the holistic and integrative approach to address rosacea. So make sure to follow us on social media. Subscribe to this podcast. And if you found this podcast helpful, make sure to share with your friends and family. But thank you so much, guys. Have an awesome week. We'll see you again next week. See you next week. Bye.